On Shabbos and Parshas Masai, we read that if a person is guilty of unintentional murder, he is exiled to one of the Arei Miklat, one of the six cities designated as cities of refuge. The Torah says, Be'ir Miklato Yeshev Ad Moisa Koyin There he must stay incarcerated until the death of the Koyin Gadol. The Gemara says in the Sechtes Makas, there were a total of six Arei Miklat, three in Eretz Yisrael and three in the occupied territories on the other side of the Yarden. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who established the three Be'ever Yarden before Klai Yisrael entered into Eretz Yisrael. However, says the Gemara, they were not in operation. They did not provide protection until the three cities of refuge were established in Eretz Yisrael. And since it took another 14 years until they conquered and divided the land, therefore, even if a person was guilty of murdering someone inadvertently, he was under no obligation to exile himself to one of the sanctuary cities. So what is the underlying reason for this halacha? Why did they not provide protection as soon as they were designated? Why did they only provide refuge once all six were established? So the Meshach says something very powerful. Unlike any other sentence, a person that's been condemned to Gaulus has no certain release date. It all depends on the longevity of the Kohen Gadol. They could be there five days, five years, or 50 years. However, every minute of every day, there's some hope. They are constantly checking their phones, hoping for good news. Even if the Kohen Gadol was a young man, we never know when his death will occur. People unfortunately die young. Every day the prisoner had something to look forward to. Maybe today will be my lucky day. However, says the Meshach since Hashem said the division of Eretz Yisrael should be done by Eliezer the Kohen Gadol, it meant that Eliezer would live for at least another 14 years. Therefore, for those 14 years, for those refugees who would have been in the Ir Miklat while Eliezer was dividing Eretz Yisrael, there was absolutely no potential for hope because Eliezer, who was the Kohen Gadol at the time, was guaranteed to live throughout those 14 years. Therefore, the potential for immediate salvation would have never presented itself. And a person can't live without hope. To live without hope is not living. That is why, says the Meshachachma, those three Arei Miklot in Eber HaYarden were not operational until the ones in Eretz Yisrael were established. It's not enough for a person to think that maybe in a few years or even in a few months down the road, things may be better. A person needs to feel there's a chance that things will get better today. At any moment, the Yeshua may arrive. The ability for tikva, the possibility for hope is not only a blessing, it's a necessity. It's essential to life itself. When Rabashkin was sentenced to 27 years in prison, essentially a life sentence, it seemed like there was no hope that he would ever experience freedom again. The appeals process are long and arduous, and they hardly ever overturn the original verdict. At that point, a prisoner has only one way out a presidential pardon, or clemency from the governor of the state. Shloim HaMelech says in Mishlei, Leiv melachim v'sarim b'yad Hashem. And perhaps Hashem set it up this way because a person can always daven that Hashem put into the hearts and minds of the leaders of the country to grant them the freedom they so desperately want. Therefore, even in the most difficult circumstances, there's always hope. 
The Gemara says in Masechtas Brachos, "I feel a hair of chadam and naches al tzavarish al adam." Even if a sharp sword is placed on the neck of a person, al yimna atzmoim in arachman, there's always hope for salvation. With tefillah, any harsh decree, any imminent decree, can be instantly nullified. There's an incredible story told about a woman that lives in the five towns named Rizal Martin. About 20 years ago, her sister Sarah Martin was diagnosed with a terrible disease. As a merit for her refuah, 40 women took upon themselves to gather each morning in her mother's house to daven and say brachas out loud so that everyone could answer Amen. Every so often they would bring in an inspirational speaker to share words of chizuk and encouragement. The gatherings helped these women cope and strengthened their amuna and bitachim. But sadly, a few months later, Sarah succumbed to her illness. Mrs. Martin was a pillar of strength and amuna. She told the group, Hashem heard our prayers, and He holds every tefillah dear and stores each one away in His special vault. He uses them at the right time, and He knows better than all of us when that is. Despite the tragedy, the group carried on with their tefillahs. They named the group the O.L. Sarah Amen Group. About 10 years later, Sarah's sister Razel was vacationing in Florida with her family when she suddenly collapsed. She was rushed to the hospital and the prognosis was grim. Her body had completely shut down. Razel slipped into a coma. After a week in the hospital, she was transferred to a hospital in Manhattan. The doctors in New York said, according to the scans, this patient is brain dead. From a medical standpoint, there's nothing more we can do. The family was devastated. Razel was only 31 years old with two young children. This was the second tragedy to befall the Martin family. But Mrs. Martin and the incredible women of the main group were not deterred. Although the doctors gave up hope, they refused to give up hope. They gathered every day and davened with even more kavana, with even more intensity. On the 23rd day of Thomas, a hot, sweltering, 95-degree summer day, they decided to take a trip to a cemetery in Queens, New York, and daven at the grave sites of tzaddikim that were interred there. They visited the kavarim of Rav Yaakov Yosef, Rav Pam, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rav Ruven Rguzovsky. The famous maggot Rabbi Pesach Kron led the group and shared stories and divrei chizuk by every caver. Then they went over to the caver of Rabbi Heinech Leibowitz. The Rosh Hashiva Vishiva's Chafetz Chaim. While davening and crying, Mrs. Martin's phone starts to ring. She sees that it's her husband, so she answers the phone. He said, I have someone here that wants to talk to you. There was a pause. Then a voice said, Hello, Mom. Mrs. Martin froze. Her heart was racing. Her hands were trembling. When she composed herself, she said, Is that you, Razel? She said, Yes. How are you feeling? Baruch Hashem, good. Mrs. Martin turns to the group and she screams, My daughter woke up! My daughter is up! All the women there broke down in tears. They thought they were dreaming. Rabbi Krohn was speechless. And with their hearts full of gratitude and deep emotion, they all said nishmas together. Back at the hospital, 30 doctors and nurses rushed into Razel's room eager to witness this great miracle. They asked her different questions to see if her brain was working properly. And Baruch Hashem it was. A person can never give up hope. As dark and as bleak as things may seem, if there's life, there's always hope. And now, we know. Have a wonderful day.